All right, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nullcast. Uh, Bud, Saturday night was certainly a low point and a tough pill to swallow for everybody out there that identifies as a Florida State fan. Instant reaction podcast that we did, honestly, that was that's one of the least enjoyable things that uh, I've had a chance to do in the 10, 11 years that we've done this. But, um, you know, it was 12 minutes of a quick synopsis of what I saw out there. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I don't know. Maybe you go back and listen to it. Maybe you don't at this point. Uh, but we'll uh, give you an idea as to what we've saw or what we think we've seen. Uh, what we saw in a rewatch that also was a whole lot of fun, let me tell you. And then uh, a little bit with us being able to reach out to people that we know kind of within and around the program and try to get you as good of a feel as to where the program sits right now and you know, what kind of the roadmap to any kind of respectability uh, would look like for this season and how they go about holding on to a recruiting class that we and many others have long since identified as, you know, by far the most important aspect of this year. So uh, with that, we'll thank Louisiana Hot Sauce as always. Thank the good people at Tarpon Cellars, great sponsors for us. And they allow the conversation that you guys are about to hear and maybe watch take place. Really weird, man. Uh, Watching that game. Just, just really weird. I, I got like so much to say. You know, I'm not even really sure where to start. I, I guess if you want to start at the end, you can. You know, I really don't know what the heck they were doing on the last play. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't. I know Mike Norbell said they were playing two man, which is two deep safeties and, and man underneath. And I've thought a lot about what I'm going to say here. They didn't play that defense. I know that's what he said post-game. He didn't really double down on it today. He kind of dodged the question when it was asked, and he, he sort of gave a, they're all things we wish we would, would have done differently. And, and I don't really know 100% what happened there. I think that I know, right? I understand why you would play cover two man in that situation. It's not a terrible call. If what Norvell said after the game was actually what they played. You have 59 yards to go to the end zone. Jacksonville State's kicker is apparently pretty good. He's got a 47-yarder on, on his, you know, on his resume. If you play just everybody picket fence the goal line, it is not that difficult because Jacksonville State had a timeout to throw a 30-yard pass and call a timeout. Right? 30-yard pass gets you basically to that sort of 47-yard that you know the kid has made. So I, I understand that from that perspective. I'll give some pushback. I think you're stretching it at 30. I think you're okay. you're banking 35. on getting down with like 0.07 or something like that. I, I I have a hard time seeing you get more than 22 yards out of something like that, but don't need to derail the conversation. But I, No, I think what you said here is important because here's where I'm going to go next with this. I have a hard time saying you were concerned about the field goal, and I'll leave it at that. Because there's, there's several elements to this. Number one, I'm going to analyze this from the defense that Norvell said they called. Right. And then we're going to talk about what the defense they actually played. From the defense they actually called, I don't think it's super likely, honestly, that they would have gotten down there. Like it's possible, but it's not super likely they would have gotten down there, got the timeout called, and then the kid still has to make a career long field goal. That I think the thing you have to guard against there more, and this is obviously hindsight, but I think it's actually you could in the moment first guess it, not second guess it it's more likely they're going to try to throw some sort of Hail Mary to the end zone, right? Or run some kind of hook and ladder 
type play, which I think you are guarding against by by playing man as opposed to you know playing zone with with the hook and ladder type concept thing. Because you're trying to evaluate all possible scenarios here, and none of the scenarios are very likely. But Mike Norvell and his staff, specifically Adam Fuller here, they did a poor job of evaluating and managing their risk on this play, as far as the likelihoods of outcomes, in my opinion, uh, and the potential danger associated with those likelihoods of those outcomes. I gave Norvell a lot of credit last week for going for or punting in the correct situations, despite the fact that you know, wisdom of the crowd says you don't. He actually did the right thing in those last week against Notre Dame. But here they screwed up. They over, basically they overguarded, right? They overinsured for the less damaging outcome and they drastically underinsured for the most damaging outcome. And I think they also just really overestimated the likelihood of that less damaging outcome anyway. I think you need to have more guys deeper. I think you need to have more guys playing in, in, in a deep zone type coverage. I would like to play some kind of quarters there with, with some guy to roam. If you still want to rush four, that's fine. I think w- with a 59-yard type throw, that ball is going to hang in the air for a decent amount of time. I also think you have way too many guys close to the line of scrimmage, even in your traditional two-man call, which for everybody that know, that's two guys deep and everybody else plays man-to-man. There's five receiver, you know, eligible receivers. You have five man-to-man defenders. You have two guys deep. You have four pass rushers. <sighs> Look, I uh, there's three outcomes here. First outcome is that they, they did not call cover two. First outcome is that they're just straight out line, right? That they actually called something else. Or Bill said they were a two-man, but that is not actually what they called. The second outcome is that they screwed up the signals somehow, right? They call it cover two over the headset and the guy signaling in the thing to, you know, to the defense, they, they, they botched it somehow. The third outcome is that your other safety, is it Renardo on the tape, right? He comes up. He just goes rogue. I don't know what he's trying to rob. It doesn't make any sense because what they end up playing here is cover one robber or rat, right? And that basically means you got one deep safety, everybody else in man, and instead of having two deep safeties, the other safety is coming up to play a zone coverage at like eight to 10 yards depth, which is what he does on this play. Now, that doesn't make any sense in the world to play that defense here because what are you robbing? Are you going to rob a pass play on the 50? What is the guy going to kick a 67-yard field goal? Right. There's no sense in that. I, I don't believe they would purposely call that, although it did look like they were in that the play before, which makes a little more sense given the you know, the, the down and distance time situation there. Uh, and I know they played that defense a pretty good amount of that night. I guess it's possible that Fuller legitimately just called the same defense again, right? Certainly Jacksonville State thought that's what happened because that's the look they got again. Maybe they just called it, like hurried up and called it quickly to make sure that they wouldn't be caught out of position or something like that. I, I don't I don't really know. But it's one of those three outcomes to me. I If you watch it, the thing is, Williams kind of does rotate to the middle of the field, which to me suggests that, that it's cover one. But also, he doesn't do a great job of it. He's kind of late on it. So it could be that Williams recognizes that that the other safety has actually come up and is not playing his deep responsibility. Williams also could be mirroring 
what he sees. You know, this is the safety actually did play deep. He could be mirroring the, the QB scrambling out to the right and kind of tracking him by, by going deep, figuring he's not going to throw the ball all the way back across the field, right? Um, I also think like if you look at the man coverage they're playing, they're not really in trail technique. I kind of think that they that they they botched the signal, but I could be wrong. I really don't know what happened here as far as how it happened, but I do know what happened. I'm just a little bit more concerned overall about their poor risk assessment and response to it. Like that's the bigger issue for me is that the defense you said you called, it's not terrible, but it's not optimal, and you're paid a whole lot of money to make the right decisions. They they failed to judge the risk, and now it's a very embarrassing loss for Mike Norvell as a result. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. No, it's probably the worst loss in program history and uh, certainly in a, that. a level of embarrassment that uh, it's going to take a while to wash that one off. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to spend 10 minutes going over the first play of the game and we're kind of dangerously close, or the last play of the game. Uh, and we're kind of dangerously close to doing that. I think he did a good job recapping that. Doesn't make much sense to me. There's some... Um, similarities in that in the third and 17 call last week. Now, maybe that's just lazy, uh, you know, trying to trying to link similar frustrations uh, on the whole. The defense wasn't the problem on the night, uh, but that's, you know, when you've got the type of defense line that Florida State does, you don't really expect defense to be the problem when facing uh, a team like that. A decent quarterback, not a whole lot else. Uh, decent program, not a not necessarily a super talented roster. Um, so disappointing. I mean, I'll say from a personnel perspective, if you really are playing a single, single high look, then you know twenty three is not the guy that I would want there. He's probably more the guy that I would want playing the linebacker role. That for whatever reason we had in that formation, I, I don't. There's some, there's some questions. A lot of my questions tonight will kind of perpetually circle back to personnel and selection of personnel and how they were used. And that's a thread that is uh, found really from first series to final play of the game. I agree with you on that. The, the last thing on the last play, I didn't really expect Norvell to come out and say, hey, Adam Bowler's a dummy. He called cover one robber on the last play of the game with six seconds left with 59 yards to go. I didn't expect him to say, hey, one of our, our GAs botched the signaling. And I also don't expect him to say and throw his player under the bus. Yeah, this guy went rogue and decided to play robber when everybody else was playing cover two. I, I'm not going to give him credit for not doubling down on saying we played cover two, right? Because like then I would really, really have to like just rip him like crazy because obviously they didn't play cover two man on that play. Like just the techniques those guys are playing is not. And I have seen the all twenty two by the way. I can't post it obviously for right yeah. for rights purposes, but I, I I've seen it. I know Ingram's seen it. Um, they're not in cover two man there. No, uh, but I agree with you. I think I think some of the personnel usage in this game was interesting. I'd be interested in learning some of the reasons why, and I think the personnel usage for the most part is more questionable on the offense. I liked what you said in the instant reaction, right? You don't really have a problem with them running the two quarterback system in the. Uh, um, Second drive there. In the, right. It's part of their script. It's something they've worked yeah. on. They're trying to put it on tape. Here's what I have a problem with. This coaching staff clearly thought this team was at a level that it could flip a switch. 
and turn it on once they got done showing some stuff on, on tape or some of that stuff didn't work. Obviously, they did get some guys wide open. I mean, Keyshawn Hilton drops that ball after having a really good camp. You know, I'm sure they're pretty crushed by that. But I, I think these this coaching staff probably thought this team could could flip a switch, and it's just not good enough to do so. They, well, they, were, they were not good in pressure situations at all. Yeah, no, they weren't. I also think they were, I think that you overestimated how good you were after the Notre Dame game, and you got real infatuated with developing a passing offense and thinking that a team that you kind of in your heart of hearts knew was a five to maybe seven best case scenario that maybe you could go chasing, you know, seven or eight or something like that. And you, you know, we've, we've talked all along that McKenzie certainly is the individual that brings you more upside, but the floor is lower and not some, that's not so much a shot at McKenzie. Yeah. It's a shot goods. at all the other pieces that you have to rely on when you try to rely on McKenzie Milton. And, uh, let me put it this way. If you're bothered by the second drive, I understand it. You should be. And I'm not trying to talk down to you when I say this. You should also be bothered by drive three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, because you were just as experimental and you were just doing as much stuff that I have questionable, um, have real questions about your personnel. Uh, you went away from some of your more successful formations and personnel groupings in the Notre Dame game. And what I'm trying to get to is that you were just as exploratory and experimental in the drives following that. You just didn't have two quarterbacks on the field. So it doesn't jump out at you in first watch nearly to the extent that it does in the in the drives and possessions that followed. And, and the central theme of this is, do I think that they don't know what their best stuff is? Not really. Do I think that they overestimated how good they were after that Notre Dame game? Like you just said, yes. I think that's primarily it. Because if they were actually worried about losing that game, entering the game, I don't think they try a lot of that stuff. I think that they call a different game plan. We've seen the staff do a pretty good job game planning for games to you know, to be in some games, right? That they if they actually have any kind of chance to win it. Um, but here, I look. This is it, it's just a screw up by them. Plain and simple. Staff messed it up. We know they had a bad practice last Tuesday, and like we know Mike Norvell was on the coaching staff to get the energy level up, to get the focus up. We know a lot of guys on this team. You know, after the fact, I think some of those dudes were worried, or some of the coaches were worried about these dudes. You know, really not being very focused based on some of the stories you heard. Um, I don't think how you can think otherwise at this point. Why in the hell are kids on this team still thinking that they've done anything to justify like not giving focus? This is a three-win team last year. Like, I is don't, it really just the logo on the helmet? Like, what in the hell? I don't know. I don't know if it's the logo on the helmet, if it's the stars in the high school bio. Although there's not a ton of you know, yeah. super flashy guys uh, on this roster, but there are some who probably still believe that they're a better player than uh, than necessarily what their their tape has showed so far. Um, yeah, there's some stories that are concerning for me uh, as far as individuals on the roster. Now, you're going to hear that when you lose to an FCS team, right? Um, on the whole, I don't think the program is about to crash into a mountain. I believe that the infrastructure and supporting aspects of the program... I, so. All right, so this is going to be a real free, open conversation. Bud and I basically have some loose bullet notes and uh, not that we ever run a real tight script, but this is just going to be two guys bouncing back and forth in conversation. So forgive us if we kind of uh, are more stream of conscious than maybe we are otherwise. Had a lot of people respond to me, and I think it's very valid that 
the instant reaction that I did against uh, after the ULM game. I didn't call for Willie's job, but I said, look, this in my opinion, this isn't going to work out. And why I was not as harsh on Mike Norvell after what transpired Saturday night. Uh, it's because of all the other things that are going on with the program right now. It's, they're not all- in a hotel in the wrong town. They're not an absolute cluster behind the scenes. They're not. You and I haven't sat there and literally watched a recruiting logistical nightmare play out in front of us and we're a thousand yards away from the stadium. I mean, I, that, the, I've, I've mentioned this many times on the podcast, but Bud and I were doing a elusive event at Madison Social and you could literally see one of the better running back prospects in the country just standing on the edge of the IM fields lost. Um, that was, that was a, a troubling sign. So I'm not trying to bang Willie. What I am trying to say is that the supportive cast and the broader uh, infrastructure that's been built around this program is very different. Last uh, Saturday night was a woeful example if you want to speak to someone who has a particular attention to detail. Uh, but Mike Norvell and his staff do. And um, I know that they had some nice commitments that never really turned into signees. We'll have to see if history repeats itself here. You mean with, with Willie? With Willie's class uh, in 18, predominantly. Well, the 19 um, class, but it was in 2018 season. Yeah, right. thank you. Let's uh, go into that for a second. Can, can we jump into that? Uh, like I said, we're going we're gonna to be bouncing around, so let's do. So I think there's a lot of folks out there. Based on our inbox, and by the way, really, you know, patreon.com slash Nolcast, we appreciate you guys sending all these questions. We got, I mean, shoot. We got like 14 emails from people who didn't even wait until we put up the thing because... <laughs> Now, some of them were even pretty coherent. I thought yeah, most I, folks would be pretty sauced. But, I was surprised. Uh, I deleted one or two that were, uh, you know, <laughs> that, you know. It was well, our fault for the loss, by the way. We got, I, I saw one of those before, the, before that got zapped. I didn't, um, I didn't. Well, good. I missed that one. Let's, first of all, think about those guys that they lost off that 2019 recruiting class. I'm only going to talk about the guys here who decommitted post the season starting. So post Vatek disaster, post, you know, the other disaster games. Charles Cross. So he was only committed for about three months, I think, uh, or four months rather. He committed kind of late summer there at, at the uh, the recruiting event, and ended up uh, decommitting from you after you had a, a pretty bad year. Went to Mississippi State, but out of state kid from Mississippi, not a a super long term relationship with him. Although you were one of the first on him, to be fair. Uh, Nick Cross, kid from Maryland, no real ties to keep him in the state of Florida. Was it his dad or his mom who wanted him to go to Maryland? Um, uh, it, as I recall, it was his dad who was kind of driving the ship there, but I could, I could, it's been a couple years now. So he decommitted. Sam Howell, obviously, like the major connect he had was with the offensive coordinator. When the OC left, uh, the OC, I think that's pretty decent connection to another school. And there's, there's a lot of stories out there about how he didn't end up at FSU. Uh, so out-of-state QB, very late in the process, somebody else needs a QB. Literally, the coach he was connected to leaves the program. Uh, Walt Bell's still here. Does Sam Howell come? I think there's actually a chance he does because of how tight the family was with him. Uh, Derek Hunter, in-state kid. He was sort of committed and decommitted many times, if I recall. Ends up at A&M. They moved him to the offensive line, by the way. I don't know if you caught that. But uh, he's even though other programs told him he was an old lineman, from the jump. And then Mike Morris, uh, who was somebody you really didn't even want that much, if I recall, right, uh, down the stretch. I think my point is here is that the impact guys in that class who you lost, 
were, for the most part, out-of-state kids who didn't have real ties to the program other than just the relationships they had built in a short period of time. They weren't like local kids from you know nearby Georgia or from the state of Florida, for the most part. If you go down FSU's commitment list right now, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you all that I feel like they're going to sign every kid on this class. I, I don't, right? I think there's a decent chance they will lose some kids out of this class. But just running this down, given the circumstances, right? Travis Hunter feels like much more solid than any five-star I would ever think would be because he committed to a team that was a three-win team last year. He's also not from some super high school blue blood. Like Collins Hill won three games two years ago. And to me, he's uh, a Florida kid anyway. He's a Palm right? Beach like, County from, kid. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I know he's already been in contact with the staff as of this morning. He's super tight with Coach Woodson. I don't think Woodson's going anywhere. So realistically, Hunter's been out there preaching this is gonna get this is gonna get better when I get on campus. I think he watches the, this DB play and says, I'm going to be able to play immediately. Now, granted, this is Travis Hunter, so he could play. He, he will. You know, he would play so today. I'm, I'm going to start catching those balls that these guys otherwise drop. By the way, yeah. he put on another, you know, it wasn't quite the game one uh, ridiculous fest, but he put on another pretty absurd uh, highlight tape against Rome High School last Friday. He's uh continues to be an absurd player and, and continues to show the skill set of maybe the best guy I've ever seen it going up and high pointing a ball as a high school athlete. It's just, Ridiculous at doing that. Ridiculous. Sam McCall, I think you're going to have to fight for that one. Really do. Now, in your corner, obviously good relationships with the staff. He's going to be Travis Hunter's roommate in college if they if they stick. Uh, or if, if, if he sticks, I think Hunter's in his ear. As we said, remember we were joking like which coach should get the credit for signing McCall? It was actually like, look, Travis Hunter is the reason McCall is committed. So I think you'll, you'll keep him. We'll see. I'm not ready to, to completely just throw the panic flag on this thing right now compared to 20, the 2019 class for this reason. The hype level entering the season was different. So when you underachieve it, the level of, oh my gosh, what the heck happened is also different, right? I don't think this staff was out there selling high hopes for this season to these kids at all. I do think Willie Staff thought that 2018 team was going to be good. So when this team is not good, it's not a good thing for you, clearly. But it's not like this staff was telling kids, watch us how good we're going to be. They're telling them, hey, watch us what we're trying to do with our guys. They might flash a little bit, but also watch them. Watch who's playing in this position. They're selling early playing time yeah. quite a bit. I think with Willie Staff, it was like, we're going to be back to dominance immediately. And when they weren't, I do think the recruits kind of thought, eh, these guys don't know what they're talking about. AJ so, Duffy, or sorry, go ahead. No, uh, you're kind of doing it. What I was saying, from the what you just said, Trevion Williams, I'd be concerned there. Yeah, just because no he's a Mississippi kid. Now, I'd be concerned with your Bob. Favor, I, I think you know, the out-of-state thing is certainly concerning. Length of relationship with Trevion Williams is another thing that I, would concern me there. Other in-state schools, we'll see how they do. Uh, I think if you're FSU in your corner, you just had two draft picks at DN, Ingenarius and Josh Kando. Uh, and then, hell, the way Jermaine Johnson's playing, yeah, Jermaine he's going to be, what, a second rounder? If he, if he tests real well, maybe he'll be a first rounder. I'll have to eat my words on that. I really didn't think that they were going to get a first round draft pick transfer out of Georgia. Um, you, know, you also have Lovett and, and Jones 
right, from Mississippi who are playing on defense for this staff uh, who can preach the message to him. Do I think they'll keep him? I don't know. He would probably be like tops on my list of guys I would worry about because I think he will he will have other kind of major suitors uh, and he's out of state. And the length of the relationship has not been crazy long there. But realistically, you have some things working in your favor. Uh, AJ Duffy, super tight with Norvell and Dillingham. It'd be impossible if you're him to see this offense and not think, oh, I'm going to come in and start, right? I mean, he's probably coming in next year expecting to start and really begin this rebuild. Jalen Early, A&M and Texas aren't on him. I don't think Ohio State's going to circle back around. So I guess where's he going to go? Uh, and Tavius Woody, they were on very early. So length of relationship probably plays a factor there. And that's something that's key here. I, I, I want to point out. FSU knew it would have a whole lot of scholarships to play with, where a lot of schools didn't. So don't underestimate that. And again, this is not me saying they're going to keep all these kids. I don't think they will. Losses have consequences. But the length of the relationship they have with these kids, I think it does matter. These kids know this staff pretty well. Like they're they're able to have pretty good communication with them. And I don't think it's a completely sky is falling situation quite yet because of how long they've been on to these kids and Sort of like, hey, I was on you early. You know, stick with this type thing. Rodney Hill, I don't think it's going anywhere. Bob, we'll have to watch. Sap, whatever. Uh, Mortimer, or I shouldn't say whatever, but like, we'll, we'll see what happens with Sap. You know, Mortimer, like, what are his better options at this point, right? What are Sap's better options? Aaron Hester, I think, is is pretty rock solid. Richardson is a kid who, if they hold on to, I'm, I'm going to credit Alex Atkins, and I'm going to credit the length of relationship there. They've been on him. He was a take the entire time when other schools didn't know he was if he was a take or not. You know, and the other schools were slow playing him. FSU was on him. Daniel Lyons, battle, in my opinion. Yep. That'll be a battle. Yep. Bishop Thomas is kind of a yak special. Not super worried there. Omar Graham, I think, is pretty locked in. Jarrell Powers, I would say, is locked in. Kanaya Charlton, I think, is locked in. Brian Courtney, I really don't know enough about that relationship. I guess my point here is, I don't think this class is going to have like 10 decommitments, right? I just don't. Obviously, you got to watch the top of the class. That's going to be the most important thing going forward. And we'll have to see who else they can close. My expectations about this recruiting cycle are not so much worrying about decommitments as much as I don't know who else they're going to go out and add at this point. Yeah. Like, can you still get a Marvin Jones to say yes? I don't know. Jermaine Johnson looks freaking great. And the past two DNs they've had also got drafted. And he likes Papuchas a lot. And his dad went there. And obviously, I mean, name, image, and likeness is a pretty big deal. And where is he going to have a higher NIL value anywhere than the school his dad played, right? Like the connection there with dad's name is, is pretty huge as far as NIL money. Um, but he's going to have major, major suitors. Coleman, Oregon likes him. Oregon just went in there and beat Ohio State. They're in a much better spot than you are as a program right now. Does, is his relationship with Duffy good enough to, to get him to Tallahassee? We'll see. But the next two weeks will matter. Thank you. Well, and also the ramifications of what happened Saturday night. You don't kids kids don't text Zach Blostein and say I'm decommitting after you lose to Jack State. And what they do is two weeks later they announce that they're going to take a visit to Florida or something right. like that. And and yeah. that's how this plays itself out. So. Um, I think that was a good run through. I think you're accurate. But what happens is you just you give you give 17 different coaches a, a talking point when they call you and and just watch how uh, watch how political TV works. You you listen to the same talking point long enough, you starts to creep into the side of your head. So 
Assuming uh, there are ki- assuming there are coaches calling. Th- yeah, and that's an interesting well, thing we see. Like who is trying to get certain kids on visits, and which kids are not really that priority targets for other programs. Yeah, they're certainly going to have pursuits. Um, I think you you're right to point out that some of these kids, like the Texas kids, aren't going to have Austin at College Station calling. Right? So right. It doesn't mean that they're not going to face other suitors, but you're probably not going to face some of the larger, you know, blue chip names for some of these kids. But some of them, yeah, we'll have to see. And if you can hold the top of your class, uh, it's a lazy and obvious statement. But if you can hold the top of your class, you got to feel pretty good about holding the middle and and kind of bottom third. But we will see, man. That's a it's going to be a story that's going to play out over the next, uh, I guess, almost three months to the day at this point. It's really disappointing for them because they they good really good showing against Notre Dame. Norvell had some interesting stuff uh, about. Uh, I don't know if you saw it today. Um, I think Aslan asked him a question, basically like about the the good loss against Notre Dame or whatever. And he asked him to repeat it. And then he looked kind of incredulous. It was like, look, I, I was a different up. member of media just to, uh, Oh, sorry. Okay. Apologies. As long. I will tell you, Mike can say that about how he woke up feeling like a loser after, after Notre Dame too. And there are no moral victories for recruiting purposes. That's nonsense. Okay. And I know he's at FSU, so he can't come out and say, look, Absolutely, that was a great game for us. You know, we showed we can compete because it's FSU, and a lot of people don't want to hear that. Even though Nolcast listeners probably do want to hear that because they want the they want the straight dope on it. The staff, these coaches, were absolutely thrilled by what they were hearing from recruits after that loss to Notre Dame. This does hurt. There ain't no doubt about it. Somebody brought up a point to me. Kids don't even know what Jacksonville State is. So to them, it's like you just lost a non-conference game. They don't really care about the FCS thing, you know, which is probably a fair point. But still, if you lose to it, like, like some low-level low FBS team, that's still not good for you either. Very, very true. What, what, do you, what do you want to go to? Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the passing game and just some of the things that you tried to do and the quarterback conversation, I guess, moving forward. So, man, um, I'm glad that we did not go all in on how, how they were going to light it up and, and uh, Milton's the savior after seven <laughs> passes against Notre Dame when, when they blissed him only one time. Uh, I am too. I am too. I have, uh, I just don't know that you're set up for McKenzie Milton to be your quarterback here. I know that's what a lot of the you're fan not. base wants to see. 58.3% of dropbacks have resulted in a hit on the quarterback for David Hale of ESPN. Yeah. That and is third worst in the nation. Yeah, You're going to need both QBs, man, because Travis gets dinged a lot. I think he's probably dinged right now. Mackenzie Milton, obviously, is not the athlete he used to be. I think you're going to need both guys. They're, they're not set up to throw the ball like you would want to throw it with Mackenzie right now, given these receivers, given this pass protection. Yeah. Your receivers are just bad, bad bad. I mean, there's, you know, I don't like ragging on college kids, but this is a woeful receiver unit, and that's certainly not breaking news. Uh, My buddy from Kansas looks to be right on parchment, by the way. It's like, Good job by parchment making the tackle, but yeah. like... Yeah, I give him credit for the tackle. I haven't heard a whole lot of good things, and, no. you know, we'll leave it at that. I've kind of hinted that. Really disappointing practices. Not, yeah. not, uh, they, they did... If you evaluate the transfers right now, Jermaine's a hit, Kier Thomas is a hit, Jamie Robinson... It's kind of a TBD. I think they've seen enough of him in practice to feel like he's a hit. Milton, TBD, it's one of the risks worth taking. Parchman is a miss. He's not good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gibbons, like, TBD, although at this point with your offensive line, you 
glad you took him. And well, you want to go there with uh, with, with Lucas? I don't know uh, yeah, we can that. go there with Lucas. I also got to say, I mean, it's hindsight's twenty twenty, but I, I don't understand how we just went through the portal that we did and we didn't land a tackle. And maybe you turned the Memphis kid down. You certainly know more about it than anybody else. Uh, I asked my TCU contact uh, about how he did in the game against Cal because they played some FCS team to start, and he was like, "Eh, mm-hmm. he's okay." Yeah. Well, he said none of our other guys are any good either up front. I was like, oh. Okay. But still, I think you would take eh, okay in Tallahassee right now. Well, certainly right? with, with Robert Scott being dinged and uh, all the other, you know, Reese is dinged. Um, DLT is concerning. Uh, we'll say that. Gibbons is, uh, you know, going to be limited, it would appear, by what you're going to get from him from a health perspective. And Maury Smith. let us some standpoint for Gibbons. Like he's not, yeah. you know, this is a question we had, though, right? We asked this in the preseason. We talked about, okay, how does this team miss its mark badly? Remember that we did that segment? And we kind of went back and forth. Like, how do they overachieve? How do they underachieve? One of those questions we had was, why is DLC playing guard? And the positive view was, well, that's because what he'll be in the NFL if he gets drafted. The negative view was, well, he hadn't really been able to work out much much of the summer and of the offseason because he had surgery, and he's not the player that he was last year because of surgery. And right now, unfortunately, the pessimistic view is the correct view. He is not as good as he was last year, and not even we're close, to be honest. Um, he's out there, but like it's clear he's lost something from last year due to that recovery because he had to spend his time rehabbing as opposed to you know lifting and working out. Maybe I'm not, I'm not saying he's like, you know, sloppy out of shape type thing. I just he doesn't look like the same player as far as you know delivering a blow on impact and step quickness. And just it, I, I don't see it right now. But you also don't have Dante Lucas. So you don't have a question. You don't really have much of a choice now. I mean, Dante, uh, I guess the word they're using was quit the team. I can I could just tell you all a real quick tale of, of uh, following the team. You know, there was a period of time where uh, maybe I'm a little more connected with the larger aspects of the program. But there was a time where I was kind of granularly familiar with the roster. I would put it that way. And during this time period was when Greg Reed was on the on the roster. And I expected for about 18 months to either wake up to a text or get a late night text that said that Greg Reed had been dismissed. And, and ultimately it came to fruition. Uh, Lucas was was kind of, I yeah, would put him in the, in the Greg Reed category. I mean, it was just something that you kind of, ultimately expected. I will say, I was impressed by his buy-in last week. I said that uh, there's there's been some kind of positive reports of him recently, but it was just probably the way that this story was ultimately going to end, unfortunately, and it uh, came, you know, came to an ending today. Yeah. Um, nice Twitter post. I'll give him credit for that. It was I, classy in his departure. It was one of those things. Like, I, I give Alex Atkins a whole lot of credit here. I think he worked his butt off to try to get that kid to focus and to just get with the program. It just never could. I, th- I think he's got issues, yeah. unfortunately. I, I hope he can work through them. Um, I always enjoyed talking to Dante as a, you know, as a recruit and as a player and wish nothing but the best, obviously. Florida State doesn't have a whole lot of options at guard, but you, the listener, certainly do when it comes to choosing a team uh, to refinance or to wade into the waters of a home loan. And uh, there's no better person than my co-host to brag on Chad and Shannon, uh, Chad and Chad and Shannon, Chad and Shannon, 
uh, and the team that they are and the services that they provide. I think we've hit the 200 number at this point, but I need to go back and actually confirm that. But two more this morning, it looks like. It's just astounding. And they are fantastic people to work with. There's a reason why we're doing, you know, 111 loans or refis with them last year. They're professional, right? This team might screw around and think that it's made it after a close loss, Notre Dame. Those guys get up, they put their pants on, they go to work every morning. And 200 NOLCAST listeners can attest. They're great to work with. Awesome customer service, great rates, knowledge of the industry. 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. You get that direct line right there to Shannon. These are the only loans he does anymore, right? He's in management, except for, he's like, I'm going to keep the NOLCAST loans because they're just so... He's not chasing. He's not chasing leads. They they come to him. It's uh, it's like fishing with dynamite. So, anyway, uh, give him a call eight four four FSU loan. Really appreciate their continued support of the Nolcast. Do you want to go? You want to go here? You want to go Wildcat? Do you want to talk about defensive personnel usage? Do you want to talk about big picture, like what this does to your win projections? There's there's a lot of things we we can hit as we hit the thirty eight minute mark here. Yeah, I want to stay at quarterback for just a second longer. Okay. Um, I don't know exactly what's going on with Jordan Travis. Uh, I do think he's a little bit dinged, but um, here's here's my did you real catch big... the sideline interaction with him and Norvell? Yeah, I did, and I, I I mean I don't, I don't I'm not sure what to make of that exactly. Uh, I've heard a couple things, you know, behind the scenes, but who knows? Uh, who knows? And I and I don't really want to make a, a huge deal out of that. Look, Mike Norvell coached at Memphis, right? You don't think he ever had anybody tell him to, you know go have fun or something like that after a bad possession. I just, uh, yeah, I don't get too worried about that. I will say I have a real frustration that you didn't realize that you were kind of in a similar situation last year against the same team. And maybe it's swallowing your pride from a philosophical standpoint that that's not the offense you don't want to, you want to run. Maybe it's that you had a, a rough interaction with a kid as he exited the field. I don't know, but uh, if you go back and watch last year's game, Tate Rotoraker throws a quick pick six. Jacksonville State comes out pretty strong. You end up fumbling uh, or kind of stumbling your way into the Jordan Travis, you know, gimmicky BS offense, whatever you want to level it. Uh, there's zero doubts in my mind that if you just 10 minutes into the second quarter go, you know what, whatever we're trying to do here, tonight's not the night to do it. We just need to run our, our you know, BS offense here. Uh, let Jordan run. I think you win that game by 10 points at a minimum, probably more. Frustrated that that wasn't done at some point in time. And uh, I don't, I'm not saying that Jordan's necessarily the best long term option. I don't think you lose that game if you play the Jordan Travis and you embrace, you know, whatever it is you label as the Jordan Travis offense. Look, I, I do too. I, I think that Mackenzie Milton, even hurt, is a better player than Jordan Travis. I want to be clear about this, right? Jordan Travis. Looked pretty good in fall camp. He has not looked very good right now throwing the football. But given your personnel on the team, I think your better option is to go heavy run game and to go Jordan Travis. Now, that likely makes it so there are some games you just cannot win. Because I think you need the sort of high variance upside that actually having a potentially, I don't want to say good, adequate passing game might provide you. Like, can you go and can, can you beat? Clemson, Clemson's a bad example. Give me another team that, that they're going to be a big dog to. Can you go beat North Carolina yeah. with Jordan Travis running the football only? I think it's unlikely, right? And it, uh, obviously, you can give me last year, but last year they 
they had a whole lot of good turnover luck and field position stuff in their favor. And also, North Carolina is probably not going to forget they lost you last year. Could you beat North Carolina with Milton? Potentially, right? If he chucks the ball over, all over the yard, like your, your point potential, in theory, it's just going to be higher with McKenzie Milton. It just is. But in practice, and I don't mean like in football practice, I mean like in practice as opposed to in theory, I don't think you had the receivers to be chucking the ball all over the place, right? Like McKenzie's going to want to run a lot of screen game stuff. Your receivers don't block for, for anything. Your pass protection is legitimately quite a bit worse than your run stuff. And there's a reason they do all the wildcat. It's because they're trying to keep hits off McKenzie and because they know their run game with McKenzie in there is not anywhere near as good as it is when Travis is in there. And they're trying to get in there and create the extra gap. Now, Kenny Dillingham can't come out and say this in, in, in the press conference, right? There's some obvious reasons why he can't explain what I just explained to y'all. But that's the reason they run a lot of this Wildcat stuff. I know we got four or five questions about the Wildcat. I think they need to find some other wrinkles to run off the Wildcat, like maybe have a throw, run a little more motion with it, make the defense you know think a little bit differently. They did run it pretty effectively last year. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I'm just trying to explain to y'all why I think they keep going to it. And Maybe you don't do it as much when Jordan's in. All they did do it certainly once uh, against Notre Dame, if I recall. So why isn't Jordan just your wildcat package? That that I'm kind of. You think confused. he's dinged? I kind of wonder, man. Like I think at a certain point you go you go to him and you're like, well, we're just going to run the ball, right? I I I'm curious on that. Yeah, I, I, I really. I don't know, but they have a weird fit right now. We talked in the off season. When they took Mackenzie Milton as a transfer, what did we say? We said, Kenzie Milton's your starter as long as they can protect him. Right? You don't go out and get Mackenzie Milton to have him sit the bench. As long as you can protect him. I think the compounding sort of parlay of not having good receivers and having protection issues up front, pretty considerable, by the way. I mean, third worst in the country, and you just played a damn FCS team. So what does that tell you? it's crazy to think like, let's play a worse player in Jordan over a better player in Milton. But if the fit makes more sense, I can see an argument for it here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that you got McKenzie. I love some of the things that McKenzie offers you. Uh, Maybe I they make it work. I don't know. I but think you I, need to not go fully away from Jordan Travis. Now, maybe there's more to it than I realize, but uh this is not an offensive roster that is suited towards leaning real heavy on McKenzie and his skill set. Oh. You don't think they're all of a sudden going to become a real efficient, like Chris passing team? I don't uh, think that they're all of a sudden going to do a whole lot of anything with the current wide receiver roster, uh, for better or for worse. So, uh, some of the running back stuff. Look, I mean, I mentioned the NC Reaction podcast. There's not a ton of stuff to talk about here. Um, I don't understand why Toll Philly gets some of the carries that he does. Honestly, I, I, Toll Philly runs fairly hard for a back of his size. There's a couple times where he picks up an extra yard or so. Whatever. What you can't have with Toll Philly is when you need a yard and a half, you don't need him trying to kick it out or bounce it out and, and pick up 19. Uh, I mean, you just got to have that kid go in there and adopt a, a, you know, a style of running that's more suitable towards situation, whatever else. Uh, Jason Corbin's your best offensive player, in my opinion, right now. Uh, Webb 
is not uh, not real far behind him. Uh, I would feature those two guys very, very heavily. I, I agree with you there, for sure. I, I think Corbin need, needs to play more. you get, you got to lean on him. And I say all this stuff, and we'll get to questions in a second. And I still wonder, like, what, what is this team's true level? We brought this up last week, right? Is is Notre Dame is the Notre Dame game their midline level, or did they play out of their shoes and sort of above their heads, right? And that is their their highest level they can play. I'm going to assume Jacksonville State's the worst that they can play, right? I don't think there will be any games where they lose by twenty, you know, eight points more than than the, the point spread. Let's hope they're a they're a six point dog or five and a half point dog at Wake. I am not going to be out here pumping sunshine after a Jacksonville State loss. But there are some things happening to some teams on this schedule that if somehow FSU gets its act together, and they're a national laughing stock right now after one game. Now, people will forget it after a week. Like They're not going to continually, you know, FSU fans won't forget, right? Pepperidge Farms remembers. But, like, you know, <laughs> the, the national media is not going to bring this up every single week. There's some stuff happening out there. Louisville looked like crap again against an FCS team this weekend. Yeah. Wake Forest yeah. has not looked great so far. You know, I I know a reporter who was at that game, but yeah, they really struggled to run the ball. Boston College, I don't know if you caught this or not. Did you see this? Uh, I did. Yes. Filger, and if you're in the audience and, and you didn't, Phil Jakovic, who is basically their team, because their defense is still pretty damn bad. And then coaches got to love when you Instagram uh, things from a hospital, right? I mean, look. But Pete Thamel lives in Boston. He's going to break that anyway. I'm pretty sure. Phil Dracovic, uh Thamel today wrote is uh, uh, so I can find the exact tweet. Uh, he wrote likely out for the year, unlikely to return this year. Uh, starting place kicker Aaron Burumi is also out for the year, along with defensive tackle uh, Chibuze Onwuka. Three more starters: uh, Dion Jones, who's a safety; Jalen Gill, and. Uh, Marquez Valdez are expected to return, but they've yet to play. So they'll get three of those guys back. Dracovic is not is not a small loss. Like he's a guy NFL NFL scouts were legitimately looking at. Like guys I know who sit behind us in the press box. The backup is terrible. That's the kid that FSU beat to go bowling in 2019. Remember? Mm-hmm. Like he can't play. So Miami opened seven and a half. I bet Michigan State had open. Apparently, a whole lot of other people did too, like who know what they're doing and are, are trying to move some money early. That's down to five. They could lose at home this weekend in Michigan State. I don't think they will, but you know, I think that'll be a, a tough game. Clemson, you're not going to beat. Florida, you're not going to beat. At North Carolina, almost certainly not going to beat. NC State just lost Peyton Wilson and Cyrus Fagan for the year, unfortunately. Yeah, saw that. There are some things happening on this schedule, and I do not think FSU is going to be able to take advantage of it to the satisfaction of its fans. I don't. I'm not trying to tell you that they will. But, dude, you see it. Like, if they somehow get their act together, it's not crazy to think that they could not, like, like they don't have to go two and 10. Right. Right. The the plane, you don't have to. You don't have to totally derail the train here. Uh, It was a humiliating loss, embarrassing. I really hope some of the 
activity that I hear in a very small sample size. I don't want y'all to think you've got some crazy rogue locker room, but it's some of these guys... Norvell didn't sign. Yeah. They're some quick these to guys, point that out, but like I think they're right about it. Got yeah. to get over the fact that they're, they've got a lot of work to do. They're very gifted individuals, but they've got a lot of work to do, and you can't just turn the switch on Saturday night and think you're going to uh, you know, play like you did in high school. So hopefully that starts to happen. Uh, otherwise, you may... Continue to see some roster movement. Hopefully, that is not the case. Yeah, um, at some point, like if you do lose the next two games, I think you're going to go heavy youth movement in the secondary. I don't think they like the attitudes of those guys behind the scenes at all. How they participate in practice, how they show up at meetings, or show up late, or show up, you know, not in the right uh, uh, condition. You know, like like I think if if this does go south, I think you will see. Uh, the remaining Taggart guys gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like kicked off the roster, but like they won't be playing. You know, they'll go, they'll go Brownlee, they'll go Cheyenne Brown, or not Brownlee, they'll go, they'll go Cheyenne Brown, Hunter Washington, uh, Amarion Cooper. I, I, I think, yeah, like some of these dudes have got to get with it as far as being consistent during the week, not just trying to, you know, show up and play hard on Saturdays. Uh, any other kind of general point of debate or anything else you want to talk? I wanted to thank the ACC network, really a high point in broadcasting in general, uh, Friday night or Saturday night. That is, uh, that's real tough. I hope everybody's gotten their nonstick pan to pair with last year's <laughs> Irish slicer or whatever that was that we all had to collectively watch, you know, 12 commercials a game for. That is just, oh boy, that's a rough, rough product to, to watch. I do wish, and this is kind of tied to that horrible or lacking in production value. Um, and maybe you've seen this. I have not seen this in the limited uh, all 22 that uh, was made available. Did, were you able to look at that OPI call uh, anymore? Do, do you have any greater feel for what that was? That was a just a strange situation that they weren't able to go back from a TV perspective. It was just very weird. I, 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 I've not, but I, I can... It's, it was strange, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to see if there's anything else here that we want to click on before we move to listener questions. I'm I'm sure it'll pop back up if we do. Before we move to listener questions, we'll thank our friends at Madison Social. I mean, I, I said this in the in the, in the instant. One of the first things that popped in my mind when that kid scored was, you know, my my thoughts are with the local economy of Tallahassee. It is, uh, you know, they missed last year. It was such an economy that's. Uh, you know, built around the university, certainly, and is fortunate to have uh, three quality institutions within Tallahassee. But you need those Florida State game day. Uh, you really need those uh, those weekends to make it work. And, uh, you know, uh, I've been surprised. Quite honestly, I've been blown away by how many people have expressed that they're still going <laughs> to still coming to this Louisville game. Uh, and we're going to be able to hang out with people from Madison Social, and that's great. And I encourage you, you know, uh, Make your way to Tallahassee. Uh, I know you won't do it with maybe quite the frequency that you did uh, with the first two results, but uh, try to support all the people that support Florida State Athletics and, and certainly Madison Social and all the properties of the For the Table Restaurant Group are uh, very high on that list. I, I, I did enjoy today. Um, you know, we put out, hey, a little bit of Florida State, we 3.30 kick. See you guys at MADSO for the listener appreciation event. And uh, this one dude, Tweeted back at us like you really think people will show up, man. Our our fans, our fans are dedicated. We love y'all. That that guy got a good number of responses and uh, and and let them know. Yeah, we're gonna be there. Like 
our fans aren't dummies. They know this team is not good, right? Like we we didn't lie to them all offseason, tell them they're going to win eight, nine games. And then the week before the, the year kicked off, say, oh, six wins, seven wins. Like we were pretty consistent. Let them know. I don't think we thought they're going to be quite like, I don't think we thought the low would be this low, but, uh, you know, I misread this team to some extent, just like Mike Norbell did. I think we all thought they'd have a switch they could probably pull or at least not blow a 10, uh, you know, 10 point lead in the last like five minutes to an FCS team. Problematic there. Uh, let's get some listener questions. Let's do. We got a lot of questions about the Wildcat. We've kind of touched on these. Michael, Tom, let me just scan through this real quickly to see. Uh, he, Tom, also appreciates the lo- lovely product that the ACC Network made available to all of us on uh, Saturday night. But he says they they said that seven guys were involved in the play calling. So who needs to get fired <laughs> over this BS Wildcat? <laughs> they keep going back to which are the seven? Good question, Tom. Uh, what was the average yards per run in the game? And do you know what it was out of the Wildcat? So I imagine we could pull the average yards per run. I can get uh, your average yards run per Wildcat, I think. Give me yeah. a second here. Like, you want to vamp for me? The, uh, the average run, well, I'll, I'll let you pull it. I thought the average run was a shade under six, if I recall correctly. Do they have seven guys calling... I mean, look, are, are there seven guys involved? If you count maybe the two guys that are calling dummy signals or something like that, then yeah, maybe they do. But this is not a seven uh, voices heard in the process of, of calling plays. I mean, you've got an offensive coordinator. You've got a head coach with an offensive background. Those are the two guys that are making the decisions. Those are the only two guys that are making the decisions. Absent... Uh, maybe you get a position coach involved if you're worried about uh, personnel health or something, some kind of outlier there. But I would not be too concerned that you have, uh, you know, a basketball team plus two off the bench involved in, uh, in you know, calling your offensive plays or deciding your offensive plays. Completely agree. Um, look at this. Yeah, I actually do. I can sort by Wildcat formation. Uh, how many plays FSU has run out of the Wildcat formation? Hmm. Well, that's disappointing. It doesn't seem like they are classifying that as Wildcat. Uh, there is a Wildcat formation filter, and uh, I will tell you that uh, this data provider is not able to tell us. Do we remember which... I, I can go to the play-by-play and figure that out. Um, no, I mean, it was, it's more situationally, and, and really the sample size on the Wildcat at this point probably isn't large enough for us to make too many uh, larger extrapolations. For those of you who put the word count on uh, me using that term, there you go. Look, I understand the frustration with the Wildcat. I I understand where people love to, and when it's been used, it's been used in very impactful, meaningful situations. So it sticks in people's mind uh, all the more. My question for the Wildcat is if if you want to get the ball into the back's hands all all the faster, then why isn't that just part of your Jordan Travis package? Uh, If you're running Wildcat all that much, and I don't see why you don't have Travis involved. I know Corbin ripped off that long run last year out of it and had, you know, kind of a, uh, a brief reminder of what he's capable of doing. And, uh, but to me, if you want to run Wildcat, you want to keep with some of those philosophies and the advantage that you gain from it, then that seems like a really good time to get Jordan Travis involved in your offense. You got to show some variance off it at the very least. I think you need to show at least like a willingness to do some kind of pass out of it. And you probably need to get to it need to get to it faster. I don't know that I totally buy the it gets the ball in the hands of our back faster. I think the, the greater thing here is that it, it you don't have much of a play-action pass game right now. 
because you don't have much a traditional run game, I think. Although I, I would like to see more play action pass data kind of shows that you don't actually don't have to be good running the ball in order to have a good PA game, which seems counterintuitive, but it's just sort of the, the threat of it because, you know, Pavlovian response, like defenses see the run fake, they come up for it. It's why sometimes it even works in like third and long. I just, the way they're going about it is not effective right now. Clearly, there's a reason why they're going to it. I don't believe that that reason is purely like, I want to get the ball in the hands of the backs faster. Just personally. Sam says he feels like he's grasping at straws, but aside from Florida State, improbably, going on a big winning streak, what external events could help us get out of this rut? Miami having another mediocre season that puts Diaz on the hot seat. Mullen going to the NFL. Are there any coaching situations in the ACC or SEC that could get dicey and therefore be beneficial to Florida State? It feels like at this point, the team's play on the field and recruiting efforts by the staff are not going to be enough on their own, and we might need a break or two somewhere along the way. So we talked about the situation at LSU last week. That's certainly something to keep in mind. Uh, Did you see what they did against McNeese? uh, No. 4.6 yards of play. Mm, That's going to keep the... Now, they got some turnovers and short fields. Watch this. They go to Mississippi State next weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they're going to lose Mississippi State. But, got to tell you, Mississippi State didn't look great against NC State, but they looked okay. They looked okay enough for a while, and they ended up beating NC State. Right now, I'm not real sure that that they're going to go in there and beat LSU. In fact, it wouldn't totally shock me if Mississippi State is favored over LSU. And, you recall what was that one game their fans lost lost absolutely lost last year about the coordinator hires? It was Mississippi State game. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. They gave up a billion points. And they're like, what the hell? Because every game, every game after that, Mississippi State played, Mississippi State's offense looked like trash. And LSU mm-hmm. given up six hundred yards to it. Now, Orgeron made some dynamite coordinator hires, you know, in, in 20, 2018, 2019. Last year he flubbed them. If, the, if those people believe that Orgeron screwed up the coordinator hires again, they're going to start thinking and doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. That could absolutely help you recruiting, right? Like, Demario Tolan, I think they had productive conversations with Tolan following that Notre Dame game. Mm-hmm. Probably didn't have a whole lot following the Jacksonville State game, I would think, but who knows, man? I, I This next couple of weeks for FSU will be real important. You know? It's massive. It's massive. I mean, if you I, somehow I, pull off two and zero in the next few weeks, and I don't think you will, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. It's just unlikely to me. You're kind of right where we thought you'd be at two and two. Yeah. Wake Forest is a major, uh, massive game. I, I don't want to make it out to be more than it is, but it feels like it's more than just a game. Uh, it feels like you're fighting for the general trajectory of the program and where it's going. Certainly. The perception of it. Um, yeah, Diaz, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how Miami goes. They're certainly not off to a great start. Uh, you know, with each game right now, uh, you, you get the feeling he may be losing 2 to 5% of the fan base, and ultimately that catches up with you quickly. Dan Mullen hasn't exactly been, uh, you know, completely shy in expressing his interest in both the NFL, and I don't know how much stock you want to put in the reports that he might be interested in the USC job that recently became available. But, uh, you know, uh, I mentioned in the win probability uh, that something doesn't quite feel right to me at Florida and Dan Mullen leaving would not shock me in the least bit. I'll 
leave it at that. So, uh, um, Jonathan, great supporter, longtime supporter of the program. Uh, I don't really have a question, but can turn my comment into one. Uh, can you think of any Florida State game that felt as closely to this one as the late Jimbo game at NC State does? In that we shot ourselves in the foot for four quarters. And when we should have had a large lead by the mid-fourth quarter, I was pacing around mumbling, we're going to lose this. I can't believe we're going to lose this. Uh, thanks for all your work and, uh, had to get down a lot of tarpon sellers, uh, to get over this one. So, uh, yeah, uh, appreciate that. And hopefully use the call, the coupon code no past when you, when you bought said wine. Boise state. Mm. Right. Uh, yeah. you had some opportunities early on. Then you had the fumble that Dontavious Jackson didn't jump on. And it felt like, you know, Boise kept making a lot of mistakes and you just weren't fully capitalizing. Hot. It was one of the hottest sporting events oh, I've ever attended. So hot. I yeah. Mean, yeah. All right. So, traveling snowman, great uh, supporter of the Nolcast as well, says, what does the loss of Dante Lucas mean for the program? Short and learn, short and, and long. Uh, we talked about it kind of organically already. Uh, long term, I don't know that it has a huge impact at all. It does kind of further expedite the process of uh, the Willie signees getting off and uh, getting off the roster. And, you know, Dante Lucas was one of the highest profile guys that, that Willie Taggart staff brought to campus. If, uh, all right, so let me posit something to you. If Schrader had not busted up his leg, is Dante Lucas on the opening day roster? Uh, they they part ways. There's, yeah, there's think, two different times in my mind during the summer that they part ways with Dante Lucas. Yep. Previously. I think that they, they had to sort of try to keep him out of desperation. And this is something I'm going to real talk to you guys for a second here. There are certain positions where the drop-off between the starter and the backup talent-wise is such that they have to put up with stuff right now, which is not truly consistent with the culture that Mike Norvell is preaching. They have a certain number of games that I really think they need to try to win this year. And they think they need to try to win. Once it becomes clear, I shouldn't say once it becomes clear, if it becomes clear they're not going to be able to hit a certain number of wins, I think that they really just finish the culture flush and be done with it. Because eventually other kids are going to see what's going on. You know? Yeah. I think there's still time for some of these dudes to turn it around. And yeah, but realistically, like you're, you do not have the depth to be able to totally affect the culture you want to have without just completely punting on the season. We also brought this up like this. There's a decent bit of like mercenary culture here right now, which isn't always the worst thing because everybody should still keep playing hard to try to go to the NFL with all the transfers you took. But who, who is the veteran leader on this team? Especially defensively. Jermaine Johnson, Keir Thomas, guys who've been on campus for eight months and three months respectively. Yeah. Uh, your, your best leader on defense may be Lundy, and that's a guy that's young and not on the field all that much and hard for a kid that young to lead, uh, is, is what I've heard. Yeah, so. and you don't have very, like, like as far as, like, the veteran leadership, it, like, this is not a player-run program. Eventually, that's where they want to get to be. That is the ultimate goal. They do not have that yeah. uh, right now. I think they have a pretty decent buy-in from the young guys that they brought in. I don't think Norvell has been able to flip a lot of Willie's guys to get the buy-in from them as as, or excuse me, as many as, as he would have liked, just to be real here. 
But some of those guys are pretty damn talented and they're having to bite the bullet and live with some nonsense from them right now. So Carrie is our next questioner. Carrie is one, was one of our original Patreons actually, and is uh, one of the many female listeners that we're so fortunate to have. We actually have two new female Patreons in the last week. And that is, oh, I thought uh, you were going to say we have two female listeners. I was like, yeah. And he has Carrie. Sure at least three. <laughs> yes. Exactly. No, Carrie's a great, great supporter of the show. Always great to see her ask a question. She says, now that we've had a few days and the dust has settled, is this loss really as bad as it seems for the future of the program? Or was perhaps that, uh, or was perhaps that a knee jerk reaction on Saturday night? Is there anything, i.e. early adoption of the NIL that can set Florida state apart from a recruiting standpoint if we keep hitting a new level of rock bottom as this season carries on? So, Carrie, it's an interesting question. Um, like we talked about, what is FSU's true level? Is it what they were against Notre Dame, or is it more what they showed against Jacksonville State, or is it somewhere in the middle? If they are truly as bad, like legitimately bad as they were against Jacksonville State, they're, they're totally screwed. But I don't have any real reason to believe that that is their true level because I also saw the game against Notre Dame, a Notre Dame team that I've dropped in my power rankings, by the way, to about 15th in the country. But that's still 15th, right? That's not like 50th. Um, I think that they were not focused enough going into that game at certain positions. I think the coaching staff was sort of playing around and trying too many different things with full confidence they would win, and then it was too late, and they were unable to flip a switch. So I don't think that that's their true level. I think they'll play better than that in some of their remaining games. NIL talk, uh, I don't know that Florida State's maybe quite where they want to be in that, right? Uh, Early adoption, yes, they got a head start. I also don't know that there's a ton of... Of, uh, I think the motivation is to try to have this program and set and be able to fully start operating with next year's roster. Uh, it's not a not a knock on these kids right now, but uh, you're trying to figure out how to do that. And I do think Florida State's going to have uh, some kind of supportive arm uh, when it comes to that. And uh, you know, maybe they're fortunate in the fact that Florida started a little bit earlier and they can try to figure out exactly what that looks like. Corey has the next question. Before we do it, we will thank Matt Lewis and his team at Congruity. Um, I talked to Matt briefly uh, Sunday morning, and Matt felt it as much as, <laughs> as any of us did. Uh, it was a tough, tough time. I, I thoroughly enjoy the interaction that we have with our sponsors. Uh, it's part of what makes, you know, developing a relationship with them fun, but it's also what makes... Uh, you know, the prospects of some of our listeners working with them. You can try to see whether or not this is a good fit for your business. And uh, in the 10 or 15 minutes while you do it, man, you know, maybe you can talk five minutes about what the linebackers look like or what's going on in Florida State recruiting. You'll have certainly like-minded people to work with when you call Matt and his team. Uh, great guys who, who will want uh, nothing but the best for your business, just as they've helped ours and four other NOLCast listeners so far. So Matt Lewis of Congruity, you can reach him at congruityhr.com or email Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right. Uh, which one do you go now? Let's see. Next question comes from Corey. Corey writes, uh, from what you saw and heard from JSU game, in your opinion, what was FSU trying to do on offense? Was FSU treating this like a scrimmage, trying to practice some offensive sets? I just don't understand why our offense looks so stale compared to Notre Dame, who, let's be honest, might not be any good either. What gives? I think you nailed it, man. It felt like they were trying to just work on a bunch of different stuff as opposed to actually like game plan and, and attack things. 
and uh, and it bit him in the ass. Yeah. Another question of personnel. I have was Joshua Burrell dinged up or something like that. I was surprised to see him featured no, going on there against Notre Dame as much as he was uh, and played better than I thought he would. To be honest with you, uh, and was not not all that much present. So uh, you know maybe obviously there's well yeah I mean maybe there's something going on there that we're not aware of or what, but uh, that was a noticeable loss from the offense. So. Uh, Matt, feeling very similar to me, says, I don't think I've experienced such extreme high-low feeling as a sports fan as I have the past two weeks of Florida State. The execution was terrible, and it didn't change at halftime. I coached uh, an 8U football game that morning and felt like they executed better, which is quite the feat when you're coaching eight-year-olds, Matt, so hats off to you. Uh, There's so many questions. A couple of them are as follows. As much as I like Milton, why did we completely go away from Jordan Travis? Was there an injury I missed? Uh, yes, we may think there's an injury to some extent and that there may always be a little bit of an injury with Jordan Travis uh, with his running style and how aggressive he is at times. But um, we, I think, both collectively question why you just completely went away from him. And we talked a little bit about comparing last year's game to what happened last Saturday night. Uh, why were we playing the entire depth chart for seemingly three quarters? Yeah, I mean, I know this is running backs a kind of a glaring option at this one but yeah there did seem to be a degree of shuffling of uh, of the dev chart and at least the personnel that I've questioned since almost the first second of this podcast and will continue to question for a long time what the hell's going on in the back end of the defense all I saw heard was the the GS passing the JSU passing game before the week was how they weren't all that explosive were all they these guys on their last week or we didn't were FSU get that DB is actually a weakness rather than a strength. Yeah. Uh, so, so far, the DBs are not really playing the ball very well. Um, I wonder if they're just completely dominating FSU's receivers in practice and we're like, oh, wait a second. The mm-hmm. real issue here is FSU's receivers suck. Uh, maybe so, that would certainly go in line with the general theme of needing more consistency from that unit throughout the week. Like yeah. when my son tries to dunk on a Fisher Price thing, when I want to, I'm like totally Mutumbo, man. Like, like you know, it just my, 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 my block percentage is way up there. But still, look, to be fair, I, I don't think these DBs completely suck. I think that they didn't have focus in that room throughout the week. And I think some of their preparedness, some of their brain farts kind of showed up on Saturday, even during the game. I mean, obviously, right? Unless you think that, maybe, I don't know, maybe Fuller did call the wrong defense there. If so... um, Oh, here's the rest of the question. What steps would you take if you're Norvell? Trust the process to make drastic changes. Fire Fuller, fire Marv. Yeah. If I was Norvell, I think you got to play this the right way. And I think I think he still has a whole lot of support from the booster base at large, surprisingly. But I also think there's some smart people in the boosters who realize that you cannot do the Tennessee-Nebraska thing now because when Tennessee and Nebraska were, were doing the new coach every two years, it was not during the early signing period, mm-hmm. right? Now, it will cripple you for a while. We are still absolutely seeing them dig out from the early signing period problems right now. It's one of the reasons you don't have seniors on this team compared to other programs as far as how many numbers you have. I think that they know Norvell, first of all, they don't, they don't have the money to do another, another buyout right now, which might be a blessing. Maybe they decide to let him go hire a different D.C., at the end of the year. To me, if Fuller really called cover one robber here and Norvell is covering for him, I get why he's covering for him. That's a fireball offense. Yeah. Not, not, for, not, not for Norvell, but for Fuller. To call that defense in that situation unacceptable. Like, it's just a total, 
a total like like screw up, you know, done, right? Um, if he really did, they're not going to come out and say that, right? I don't think they're going to give us the truth about what actually was called. I'm sure Mike Norvell knows, right? And we'll see what happens at the end of the year. Yeah. All right, y'all. I mean, I hope that was uh, helpful, I guess. I don't know. I uh, certainly feel slightly better myself after talking that over with uh, with you, the listener, and with Bud over the last 75 minutes. Uh, but uh, yeah, hopefully we don't have to do a podcast like this. I feel slightly optimistic about this Wake Forest game. Now, give me another 48 hours and we'll have our preview here shortly. Maybe that's just me grasping for straws myself after uh, after the disappointment of the first two games and the you know utter disappointment that was Saturday night. But still a lot of positive things going on in this in this program. And Lord knows uh, we're not ones to, you know, pump a bunch of fake optimism towards y'all. And uh, that's not not us and that's not anything we've ever done. But uh, you get things right. You are perhaps the beneficiary of some of the other teams that have run into some of the struggles that we talked about. And, uh, you know, this doesn't have to be a epically depressing season. And uh, here's to... Here, here is uh, on every uh, you know brown liquor I can get my hands on. That uh, here's a toast to that not being the case. So, yeah, I mean, sorry, I, I to your point again. Why why are we not jumping off the cliff right this minute after after the worst program loss or worst loss program history? Because somehow you're only a five point dog at Wake Forest. Did that open at seven seven and a half and no, it actually opened like it opened like like three and a half. So. Anyway, three and a half, four, four and a half, five is not really a huge move. You know, you're, like there's some like secondary or tertiary key type numbers there, but like not majors. Not to go super betting talk here. You're going to be favored over Louisville, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. as of today, if, I, I, I do believe FSU would be a favorite over Louisville in Dope. It's crazy to think that you'd be favored over an ACC team after you play that game. But what right. you got to realize is that their, their level, maybe that's the title of the show. I don't know. Is f- what is their true level? Because that will determine how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, you know, I do think the path forward here. If you want a positive path, you might say all these guys are going to be playing for themselves. That's fine. If these defensive linemen want to start playing for themselves, the defensive line has looked fairly good in both games. It is not out of the realm of possibility to think that they do a really nice job against Wake and Louisville, and that you somehow pull that out. I mean, we're talking about probably what. A fifteen to twenty percent chance that you go two and zero, not not a not a you know half a percent chance. We're not talking about like one in five hundred type odds. The the gap you're trying to shoot here is shootable, not easy, not easily doable, but shootable. We'll see what happens. Final note of the night before we sign off: Congrats to Brady Scott and his uh, newly uh, <laughs> new newly made official fiance. So. Uh, uh, Brady, congratulations. Uh, that was kind of a historical or a hilarious thing to watch play out on social media today. Totally. And uh, look, you got, I said it on social media, got to run the play, right? If you got the family in town, you got, you got the future in-laws in town, do you think your future mother-in-law gives a damn if you lost the game or not? She wants to see her daughter get proposed to. You told her that's what you're going to do. She does. She does. And every, everybody that I've talked to around that program thinks the world of Brady Scott uh, very highly of him and has a lot of respect for how he carries himself for 
Good for you, young man. Wish you and your Congrats. newly made fiance nothing but the best. Let's go with Andy. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.